Well, Steve mentioned today we're going to continue our conversation that we started last week with God about can you feel it? But I kind of feel like it's it's necessary to kind of do the like previously on, you know, like you, you get in the soap operas and et cetera, or my days when we were watching Dallas, right? Anybody got addicted to the Dallas back then, you know, previously on, you know, what, what have we been talking about so far? And what we've really been trying to explore is this question. How is it that you and I experience, how is it that you and I feel the love of God in our lives? God has clearly, specifically, and intentionally revealed to us that He is loving. In fact, most of the things that we believe about God that are so important to us in our Christian faith, His forgiveness, His compassion, His mercy, and blessings, and all they're all rooted back on His fundamental nature that God is loving. It's what tempers the fact that God is holy in terms of His relationship with us. But God is loving. And it seems to make sense, and certainly it is the mandate of Scripture that those of us who are followers of God should experience His love. In fact, probably one of the greatest tragedies that takes place in the circles of faith is many people walk through their journey spiritually. They know about the love of God. They can explain the love of God. They can quote verses that speak about the love of God. But when it comes to actually experiencing the love of God in their lives, a lot of them find... Because they just don't really know what to say in terms of how they experience God's love in their lives. So we've been trying to answer that question. How is it that you and I actually experience God's love in our lives? How is it that we can really know God the way that He has revealed Himself to us? So last week we talked about two things. But the second point was really three points. So it was really four things, but it's two things because I'm a preacher. That's what preachers do, right? You know, new math, that kind of idea. That two is equal to four, somewhere around anywhere. But the very first thing in this journey about you and I actually experiencing God's love in our lives, what do we need to do? The first step really is simply to ask God to let you experience His love. There's, there's invitation after invitation in the Scripture for us to make requests of God. James puts it this way. He says, you have not because you ask not. Therefore, you need to ask. But you need to ask in faith, not doubting, etc. But you need to ask. Jesus said, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you're going to find. Knock and the door should be open. God has given us this invitation. He extends to us the privilege of coming before him, knocking on the door and say, God, I want to be able to step into a room that's full of your love. God, I, I want to find, at the end of my journey, I want to seek and I want to find your love. I, I want to find that treasure that's buried in the field and experience it for myself. God, I, I'm asking you to allow me to experience your love. Very appropriate for God's people to do that. Not the only thing we should be asking God for. We should certainly be asking God to use us and to change us and to grow us and all these wonderful things. But it's very appropriate for us in our connection with God, to say, God, I want to feel, I want to experience, I want to know your love in my life. That was the first thing. The second is we need to really make sure that we're really listening to God in terms of the way that he's trying to communicate his love to us. 
Sometimes it's like we're dialed into AM and God's speaking on FM, right? You know, or we're, we've got AM and FM on, but God's on the satellite radio and, and, the, and the message just isn't getting through to us. We have the ability to receive it, but we're not really getting it. And so with that, we tried to make sure that we understood some of the love languages of God. Some of the things we're going to talk about today might fall into that same kind of category, but I'm going to package them just a little differently. But last week, we looked at three distinct ways or languages that God uses to share His love with us. The first of those I refer to as the history channel, right? Just knowing what it is that God has done for us in the past. In particular, we're really focused on what God has done for all of us. What has God done in human history to make it possible for you and I to live in a loving relationship with God now and for all of eternity? So there's that aspect of it. The second was the fact that Jesus promised that those who love him that he's going to come to them, he's going to love them, and as a part of that, he's going to reveal himself to us. So that when you and I have God sightings in our lives, when, when, when we recognize that God has showed up and revealed himself to us, that he's taught us, that the, the, the lights just kind of go on related to the word of God in our lives, when we understand all of a sudden the truth we know now applies to our circumstances, we follow it, something great happens, or somebody speaks up into our lives and shares a word, or they ask us to serve or pray for them in the name of Christ. Lots of different ways that God shows up and reveals himself. Every single time that that happens, God's saying, I love you. Because Christ says, I'm going to come to you, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Another love language we looked at, again, this is all review, just to kind of lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, is that one of the love languages that God uses to communicate to us is discipline. The scripture says, those whom God loves, he disciplines. Part of the way that you and I experience the love of God, we may not like it, especially when we're experiencing it, but one of the ways that God communicates his love to us is when you and I suffer consequences for our acts of disobedience to him. You know, and we... And you can go back and listen to the sermon. It's up on our line. I said we talked a lot about things related to that. But God disciplines us because he cares about us. He's trying to knock us back onto the right path. He's trying to keep us from wandering away into harm's way. And when you and I experience that sense of discipline in our lives, it's a way we should respond to God, thanks for loving me enough. Thanks for caring about me enough to actually try to get me to adjust. I want to add some pieces to this. And like I said, I, I, I'm not sure it's like, you know, it's like building, a, you know, a, a tower kind of thing. But it's just, I think some other thoughts that are really helpful to us in this journey of really getting to a place where we experience regularly in our lives God's love for us. And, and I want to base my comments today out of 1 John chapter 3. I referred to this a lot last week, and et cetera. If you have one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 1035. should be one right there underneath your seat. Many of you brought your own Bibles. That's great. Get to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, work your way back a few pages, you'll come to 1 John. If you're using an app, just talk to it. It'll probably scroll right to it, right? You know, that's just the way it works this day. Say, hey, Siri, 1 John 3. You know, um, though I'm an Android man myself, so. I want to read just the first three verses today and, and use these as a, as a step forward. Now, again, just a little context for, for the gospel, for the book of 1 John. The Apostle John is a, probably, at this point in time, the last living apostle. All the others, they're gone already. And, and many of them had been martyred. John, 
as best we can understand Christian history, is serving the churches of Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. He's centered in Ephesus, the church that Paul had had a hand in planting. And, and, he's, and he's writing a letter that's intended to be a message to all of them, and he's emphasizing the love of God and the impact it has on our lives. And he starts chapter 3 this way, verse 1. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. I love some of the, the, the NAS and some other translations. It says, look at how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. It's not just, you know, we, yes, absolutely, we are the children of God. The world, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it doesn't know Him. It didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet been revealed. So he says, you're God's children, but all that you're going to be as God's children hasn't fully happened yet, but that doesn't pull, take away from the fact that you are God's children and now. And what will be has not yet been revealed. And we know that when he appears, when Christ returns, it will be revealed and we'll be like him because we will see him as he pure as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So a couple of things I want us to think about today. In relationship to being able to answer the question, can you feel it? Can we really actually feel and experience the love of God in our lives? The first thing I want us to really understand, somebody last week wrote one of their comic cards, what about, what, what about the Holy Spirit, whatever, is that the experience of the love of God in our lives is not just an outside-in thing, but it's an inside-out experience. You and I experience the love of God not just by the circumstances that are around us, not just by the experiences that we have, it's not just by the people who are a part of it, but we experience the love of God from the inside out. Now, John here is writing to us, and he's trying to say to us, listen, you are the children of of God. The lavishness of God's love has so intervened in the world and has been so applied to your life that you are actually the children of God. Now you've got growing to do. Some change is still going to come when Christ comes back and that kind of stuff. But that doesn't change the fact that your birth certificate now says that you belong to the family of God. And for you and I to actually be able to believe that, to experience it, to have it in some tangible form today, God is giving us a portion of himself that we call the Holy Spirit. Let me bring up a verse from you from Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Paul's writing to the, to the church in, in Rome, and he's, and, and he's teaching them the gospel from a distance. He'd never been there yet. And he, said, he says, for you, not, do you, not, for, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, so he's saying when, when you stepped into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it's not like God said, all right, down to the servants' quarters, you know, and, and I'll call for you when I need you, and just sit there, shut up, and do nothing until I... That's not... We, we weren't called into slavery. He says, but you received the Spirit. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. You received the Spirit that led to your adoption, and with the work of the Holy Spirit within your life, it creates this yearning, this knowledge, this freedom that we can actually call out to God as Daddy, Abba, F 
Father. God has given us the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us to actualize, to bring to reality the fact that you and I are the children of God. We go on to the next verse. Very much the same thing. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Last night of his life, John chapter 14, you know, and um, probably right after the Lord's Supper had happened and, and the foot washing experience, he says, listen, I, I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, he is the Spirit of truth. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and he'll be in you. And look at what he says. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So I'm not going to leave you without any parents. I'm not going to leave you without a family. You're not just, you know, road rats are going to be running around. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're going to become a part of the family because I am coming to you. And that coming to us is in the person of the Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity that we know is that is God, that we know as a person of the Holy Spirit. He comes into our lives and his job is to make sure that we're not orphans, but we're actually bound to the family of God. It is the Spirit of God that we know as the Holy Spirit who steps into our lives so that you and I can actually experience or realize the fact that God has lavishly poured out His love on us, that we can be the children of God. Now, what in the world? where does all this take us? Here's what I want to suggest to you today. I think one of the reasons why we often fail to see and experience the love of God in our lives is because we're not looking in the right ways. And here's what I want to say to you today. It, it, is that when the Holy Spirit does His work in our lives, God is saying to us, I love you. Every single time, the presence of God in, his, in our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit Every single time the Holy Spirit does the work that God has intended for him to do in our lives, it's God saying to us, I love you. I'm reminding you that you're a part of my family. I'm reminding you that I have lavished my love on you to be my child through your faith in Jesus Christ. So what are some of the things the Holy Spirit does? We don't have the time to go over everything, but I want to show a few things to you. Look at, look at John chapter 14, verse 26. And you know, we're popping these up on the screen because we're going to a lot of different places. And he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, and he's going to teach you all things. And he's going to remind you of everything I have told you. Now, the work, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives that we experience as the person of the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to teach us. Every single time you grasp a spiritual truth, God's saying, I love you. Every single time that you're in the Word of God, you're in a life group, you're thinking, you're praying, you're meditating, what God, and, and, and the lights go on and you say, this is what God means to say to me through this Word. God's saying, I love you. Because the person of the Holy Spirit whose job it is is to bind us to the family of God, to be the means where God pours out His lavish love on us and makes us His children, is doing His job in our lives, and He's teaching us. Some of you read my column this week. I've had the privilege recently to be doing a Bible study with a friend of mine. And this is a person that grew, kind of grew up in the church, but really is, is it, all of their, their adult journey has really not been connected with church at all. 
you know, heard some passages quoted in services and stuff when they were a kid and a teenager and that kind of thing, but never really has been a part of a Bible study. And so we've been just, he, he just, he, one day he just said to me, he said, you know, boy, I'd, I'd, I'd love to study the Bible. Is that something you do with me? You know, and so I, 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 we've been meeting now for a number of months and we started out just doing some of the, the big parables, like the parable of the sower, the prodigal son, etc. Just kind of getting into it slowly. And more recently, we've been doing this, the study of the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of taking through a lot of the fundamentals. And it's been, been a great journey, a lot of fun. I, I, I have a lot of great interaction with it, whatever. But recently, I, you know, when I got there and we sat down at the table, kind of settled in a little bit, I, I, said, I said, man, you, you seem tired. You, you okay? And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. And we kind of went through our study, and, which was really good. And then we get down to the end, and we're debriefing a little bit. And he said, you know, he said, you, know you asked me at the beginning whether, whether I was tired or not. And he said, you know, I, I'm not tired. He, says, he said, before you come, I, you know, I always, he always knows what passage we're going to be looking at and that kind of stuff. And he said, before you come, I, I sit down like about an hour before you come, and I just, I just spend some time reading the Bible. I read some of the passages before and after and this, uh, things, that, you know, and just, just doing a lot of reading. He said, you know, and, and he says, the Word just has this, just reading the Bible has a way of just calming you. And this is a guy who is very active. That's an understatement, right? You know, just it has a way of it, it, it has a way of focusing and kind of centering me. It reminds me of what, what's important. It kind of brings me back to a, I'm thinking to myself, that's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is teaching. You know, when we have those kinds of experiences, we get into the Word of God and, and it just brings a sense of peace and whatever. It's it's incredible stuff. And it's God saying to us, I love you. Every time the Holy Spirit does his job in our lives. Here, related to teaching us, it's God saying, I love you. You know, also the passage says it reminds us of, you know, his job is to remind us of everything I have told you. Jesus made a lot of promises to us. Some of those promises apply to all humanity. The way that God has worked, the things that we are to remember, the things that God has done in human history that apply to all of us, from creation to the covenant with God's people to the incarnation of Christ, his life, his perfect life, his sacrifice on the cross for us, those kinds of things. Sometimes God's promises to us are very personal in the way he's going to work. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of the ways that God has worked in our lives personally. Not just what he's done for everyone, but what he's done for us personally and the way he's worked. And, you know, I think of every once in a while, I think back to that experience when I was an 11-year-old kid. You know, my parents had always been faithful, taking me to church. I didn't always want to go and that kind of stuff. But, but I faithfully went and that kind of stuff. And I can remember when I was 11 years old, over a couple, three-week period, I just, I just felt this tremendous pull. It wasn't coming from anybody else. My parents weren't doing anything different. The church wasn't doing anything different. Sermons weren't any different. I, in some ways, I really wasn't even listening to the sermons anymore than I usually did, you know, kind of thing. And yet, yet God was really speaking. And, and, and I just felt this... This, this tremendous call, if you will, to the cross, right? Like we sung about just a few minutes ago. And, and, and it was in those moments that I gave my life to Christ and became a child of God. Every time I think about that experience, about how God took what he'd done in history and applied it specifically to my life, and as the Holy Spirit brings that memory back, it's, it's God saying, I love you. I love you. 
one of the reasons why we give out baptismal certificates here. People stand in this pulpit on a regular basis and tell about, speak to you. We call them faith stories, but they're really God's love story to them, the way that he's worked in their lives. And God uses that memory to communicate his love to us. I can remember when I was in college, you know, somewhere after my freshman year, they, they figured out that I wasn't, I wasn't quite as dumb as I looked. And so there were a couple of guys who, who you know, I was kind of, you know, you're, you're asking, what am I going to do next and that kind of thing. And I, I had a sense that maybe God was calling me to, to get involved with Christian ministry, to, to serve the Lord by serving the church and that kind of thing. And, but I also was really thinking hard about going to law school and, you know, whether I'd really like that. And there were a couple of guys that came into the orbit that really had a lot of connections. They wanted to help me go to a really prestigious law school and started to ramp up and all this stuff. And I can remember I prayed for months, literally for months. All of my sophomore year, a lot of my junior year, just prayed for God to give me direction because I knew that at the beginning of my senior year, I had to make up my mind whether I was going to try to go to law school or not. And I can remember I was working for my dad's electrical contracting company. I was driving the 16-foot stake bed, no air conditioning, bouncing along the road, right, you know, driving and delivering somebody. And, and I, I, I can't tell you I heard an audible voice or anything else, but, but th there was just a clear word, if you will, from God. At, God saying, I, I, want you to, I want you to follow me in Christian service. And, and I made that decision. Followed through with it, never regretted a moment of it, etc. But when I think back at that moment where God guided me and, 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 and the, all the affirmation that came then and later, it's God saying, I love you. I love you. you know, I told the first service that, you know, that one, one of the greatest tangible gifts of God's love to me has been my wife, Christina. You know, and I, I remember back, and I, I don't remember where we were in our relationship. I don't know if it was just before her senior year in high school or before, just before she started college, but we were out on a date. I believe we were in my mother's Pontiac Grand Dam. She still had the Grand Dam then, you know, a nice two-door thing. And we were over at the grist mill in Sudbury, just taking in the beauty of the spinning wheel. With the thing. Everybody else, with the, all the rest of the cars around us, they were probably doing other stuff, but we were just taking in the beauty of the grist mill, right? You know, and, and, and I remember saying to her, saying, like, when, when I ask you to marry me, are you going to say yes? Because I didn't know when that was. I mean, we were pretty, you know, and she said yes. So I remember after I dropped her off that night, and they were still living in Newton, so I had a long ride back to Sudbury. I remember thinking to myself, are we engaged? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, you know and, and then when we, we, I graduated from college, she transitioned colleges. We went to Texas together. We didn't have any specific dates for getting married. We weren't formally engaged, at least that anybody else knew or whatever, and, and we got her settled into her dorm. I, was, I, I found an apartment very quickly around the seminary. And so we had a day where we really didn't have anything to do. So we were walking around downtown Fort Worth, you know, and with, just trying to check out the city a little bit, you know, just moving to Texas, et cetera. And, and I remember we went into this jewelry store. I said, well, let's just look at rings. Maybe they will know what we want when the time comes or whatever. And, and so she looked around and that kind of stuff, and she found the ring that she's still wearing today. And and she said, yeah, this is kind of what I like. This is nice, you know, that kind of stuff. This is kind of what I want. I said, well, why don't we just get it? And I think actually that was my formal proposal actually was, why don't we just get it? You know, and I mean, I didn't ask her dad. I mean, he was a Baptist deacon. I was afraid of him, you know, and, and, 
that kind of thing. I, I probably should have. This is very different than my oldest son, right? You know, he asked her dad, then he got a ring, and he took her out to the beach at sunset and got down on one knee and the whole kind of Hallmark crap, you know. Uh, sorry, you know. But, but, you know, I think back to those moments, and it's part of, and you think about those memories, and it's and, and just this great gift that God give me, gave me and her, and it's part of God saying, I love you. I love you. You know, and when we think about what God has done in our lives and the way that he has moved us, it, it's incredible, incredible means that God uses to teach us. And I could go on with lots of stories that I know about people where they just sharing about moments they've been in and, and they just they just difficult moments, moments where they felt really alone and, and, and God just kind of showed up. And and they and as God brings those memories back, it's God saying, I love you. I love you. Another couple of roles of the Holy Spirit. This is one maybe we don't like as much, but notice what John, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin righteousness, and judgment. Every single time you and I experience conviction in our life, God's saying, I love you. When God brings it, don't do that. Stop doing that. That's bad. Don't do that. You know, or God gives us conviction in the sense of, yes, do this. Follow this path. Do, t- trust me in this. When every single time you and I experience conviction in our lives, God's saying, I love you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit who's saying, I'm here, and because I'm here, you're a child of God, and you are loved by God. And as the Holy Spirit does his job in our lives, God's saying to us, I love you. I think we probably would be amiss if we didn't look at the fact that part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to bring the fruit of the Spirit. You know, and it's described to us in Galatians 5 as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Every single time you and I display or experience or embody that in our lives, it is God saying to us, I love you. And every single time we experience love from somebody else, a child of God, another person of faith, God saying, I love you. Every single time the Holy Spirit does his job in our lives, it is God's message to us, I love you. The love of God is an inside-out kind of experience for us. All right, enough on that one. Let me go on to a couple of others. I want you to notice here in verse 2 of John, 1 John 3. Well, actually, the very end of, chapter, of verse 1. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Every single time you and I realize that we just don't fit in this world, God is saying to you, I love you. I've made you different. You don't fit. They didn't know Jesus. They don't know you. You don't fit. First Peter puts it this way. He, you know, he's writing to these guys. Life's starting to get hard. They're figuring out how they can fit into the world. He says, listen, I urge you to live as aliens and as temporary residents. I urge you to live as aliens and and immigrants to, uh, among us to, to abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in the case where they speak against you as those who do evil, they may be observing your good works and glory. He's calling upon us. You're different, 
be different, and when stuff happens because you are different, just continue to do what's right in the eyes of God. Every single time that you and I feel alienated in this world because of who we are as a child of God, God's saying, I love you. He picks it up a little bit more in, first, in chapter 4. He says, in regard to this, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they slander you. You know, many of us probably have experienced moments where we have just felt like out of place. You're standing in a group, and somebody tells a vulgar joke, and you're just like, yeah. You know, or you, you had friends, and, you know, you just moved into a new neighborhood, and you got invited to a few parties, but because you're not drinking as much as they are and doing a lot of the other stuff, you just don't seem to get the invitation for next year's party or the year after. I can remember when I was in college, you know, I, I just God, God just kind of led me to, to, to be pretty upfront about who I wanted to be when I got to college. And so, you know, I was kind of known as the church kid or the Christian kid, you know, and so I was a church, I was a church kid on the, on the football team and on my dorm and that kind of stuff. I was the guy who got up on Sunday morning and was taking a shower, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Everybody else was still trying to get over their hangovers, and I was getting ready to go out to church kind of thing. And It's interesting that the guy who was the RA on my floor was a religion major. Now, this was at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, so definition of religion could be a little different there, right? So, but he got wind of this after a while, and he really wanted to have a conversation, so we were talking and that kind of stuff, and so he was asking me about some of what I believed, and I, I I, I was very upfront with the fact that I believed that God had personally intervened in human history in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus was a real being who was fully God, fully man, that the Bible was a unique book because it wasn't just a man-made book. It was a God-inspired book, and right on down the line. And we got done with all this conversation and stuff, and, and, and he just looked at me, and with just, with just the, the most sincerity and intensity that he could muster, he just said, he says, I think it's absolutely terrifying that a guy like you is at a school like this. That really makes you feel welcome, doesn't it? And, and, you know, many of us had, a, you know, Christina, when she was working for her first company, a second company out of college, you know, she eventually worked into a role where she was the one who kind of monitored their the quality control in their customer service center where people were calling in and asking about what their insurance pro programs would do and that kind of stuff. And they were ministering for another party and that kind of deal. So, you know, they would have meetings once, once in a while with the representatives from the company that they were managing their insurance for, and they wouldn't let her go into the meetings because she would be too truthful about what the real results were. That's probably not great for your career path, is it? But, you know, every single time you and I experience that kind of alienation, we, we may not feel the love of the world, but, boy, we ought to be feeling the love of the Father. Because that's a part, that's, that, that is dead, that God has stepped into our lives and made us different. We don't fit the same way. They didn't know him. They don't know us. And God's communicating to you, I love you. I loved you enough to make you different as you go along. Got one last thought. And this comes from verse 3. It says, anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's my thought. Every single time you think to yourself, I really need to grow in my faith, God's saying, I love you. Every single time where God plants it in your mind that there's more of him to be had, there's more Christ-likeness that you can achieve, every time you feel this impulse, this challenge from the world, the world to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, except, oh, every single time 
you feel the tug of God to grow closer to him, God's saying, I love you. It's God saying, move a little closer. Get a little closer. Don't, don't move away. Get closer. Get closer. Come closer. Come closer. Get, get into a position where I can share more of my love with you, more of my blessings with you. Get closer. Every single time that happens, the one, those of us who have this hope and we feel this desire to purify ourselves, to become more like Jesus, God is saying, I love you. And he's trying to pull us in. Mm. I don't know. Maybe the series could go on and on and on. I don't know. Because I think God shows his ways, his love to us in lots of different ways. And I just tried to highlight a few things. But, but you know, I, I don't want you to stop asking the question, can you feel it? Can you actually feel and experience the love of God in your life? Because who God wants you to be in and of yourself, and who God wants you to be in this world, and who God wants us to be as his church, is dependent upon us feeling and experiencing and knowing the love of God intimately in our lives. Can you feel it? Let's pray that the answer to that question can always be absolutely. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the certainty of your love for us. God, I also pray that there's a solution for when those moments when we don't experience your love. And God, today, we would pray based upon who Christ is and everything he's done and the access that he gives us to you, the fact that he's, he's advocating, he's, he's speaking into your ear right now on our behalf. We would ask you to let us feel, to know, to experience your love in our lives by our faith in Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.